Chapter 9 of the Story of a Modern Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. The Story of a Modern Woman by Ella Hepworth Dixon. Chapter 9 Perry Consoles. The next day, the day which was to decide her fate with the Academy schools, revealed itself shrouded with fog. By the light of one gas burner, Mary tried to eat some breakfast, but the doubtful allurements of the boiled egg which usually awaited her appealed to her today in vain. She had slept badly and risen late. It was now half-past ten. Already at the art school, in the grimy little office, the names of the successful candidates would be nailed up. No, she could not eat. She must know. It meant so much to her, so much more, she thought, than to any of the others. It meant independence, a profession, a happy union. How many hoped-for marriages she had seen fail among professional people just for the want of a mere hundred or so a year. If she were good enough for the academy schools, she felt that there was a future before her. She saw herself in imagination, working, earning, helping. Putting on her coat and hat, she was soon outside in the fog and threading her way along the streets to the School of Art. Underfoot was a layer of greasy mud. In the little shops, a bleared gas light made an orange patch in the all-pervading grayness. At the fruiterers, the mounds of golden oranges, crimson apples, and scarlet tomatoes flamed with startling assurance against the blurred brownish-gray of the houses, the pavement, the very atmosphere. She was curiously alive now to effects of color, to values. Everywhere the girl saw a possible picture. If she had passed, Mary made up her mind she would telegraph to Vincent. It would be an extravagance, but it would make him so happy. Mary pictured her lover reading that charming message from over the seas as he sat in an Indian veranda in a white flannel suit with a hazy background of punkas and date palms. Afterwards, when she thought of that day, she remembered that the hall of the art school was full of students, all talking at once. At the sight of the girl's expectant face, someone called out good-naturedly, "'I say, you're in, Miss Earle. I'm sure I saw your name on the list.' It's in the office, pinned up over the mantelpiece. Mary slid into the little room without a word. Yes, there was the list of successful probationers written in Mr. Sanderson's careful hand on a slip of notepaper and pinned up with a brass drawing pin over the mantelpiece. Her eye ran hastily along the list. Simpkins, Dorothy Muriel. Smith, Mary Gwendolen. Walsh, Joseph Frederick. Billington, George Francis. Thompson, Pamela Evelyn. Beadle, Reginald Forsyth. That was all. She read it again to make sure, repeating to herself mechanically, the Dorothys, Pamela's, and Gwendolen's of the back shop. No, there was no possible mistake. The name of Mary Earle was not there. And so it was all over. Never, she felt, should she have the courage to spend another six months laboring and stippling over another lacoon. The girl slipped into a chair in a corner. Her disappointment had affected her physically. Her feet were icy cold. She felt, without being hungry, as if she had nothing inside her, while the voices of people talking round sounded strange and far away. But presently she roused herself, and went through the big room to collect some things she had left. Only Mr. Perry Jackson met her behind the olive-green curtain. Mr. Jackson, who, although the workmen were now out of his studio, was curiously often to be seen at the school. He glanced at Mary, and instantly read the disappointment in her face. Though young, he was, after all, a Londoner, and had the Cockney's intuitive knowledge of the world. 
he even went so far as to congratulate miss earl in having failed to attain the desired standard of academical excellence he had as he admitted with pleasing candour only got his own drawing admitted in the years gone by by the skin of its teeth as for himself he had mainly attended the classes and this was said with something very like a wink to make friends with the royal academicians they're all right when you know em but you've got to know em first quoted the rising artist there's old jack matter who always does warder street pictures he's not half a bad old chap and thinks no end of me he's on the hanging committee next year i go and ask his advice i'm going to do a big thing for next year's academy and i'll eat my hat if it isn't on the line i hope so i'm sure replied mary smiling when are you going to begin oh at once i've got an idea that's bound to fetch the public indeed replied mary amused at his naive optimism i shall call it the time of roses what do you think of that neat eh nothing but girls and nothing but roses lord you can't give the public enough of either of them it likes em because they both go off so soon added mr jackson charmed with his own perspicacity it'll be an eight-footer if it's an inch and if it isn't on the line next may i dare say it will be an immense success said mary quietly as she thought of bygone private views and of the canvases which had become the picture of the year now for the grosvenor continued mr jackson after my last academy picture they're spry enough with their invitations to exhibit there i shall do a girl in a graveyard bless you people are death on cemeteries black dress limp black hat hanging on her arm black circles round the eyes and there you are don't you know mary laughed there was not much doubt about the fact that mr perry jackson was destined to get on he had an astonishing facility in painting in the summer time he worked at vast canvases out of doors in the country painting with large square brushes in the approved modern manner oh i say miss earl said perry detaining the girl with a look as she stood putting her painting things together there was something of despair in the way in which mary was folding up her easel and arranging her chalks and paint brushes in the long tin box and with his quick sympathy the young man wished to assuage her sickening disappointment just look here he continued pulling from a cardboard portfolio an indian ink drawing of a beautiful young woman in a ball dress reading a love letter old stick in the mud he says he'd like this drawing for illustrations only he must have a short story or some verses to go with it now you're so clever and literary and read so many books can't you knock me off something to print with it mary who had never heard of this primitive method of producing imaginative literature stared in blank astonishment at mr perry jackson her eye caught his knobby hands his stubbly hair his knowing anemic town-bred face and then the picture of the exquisite woman robed in tulle which he held in his hand oh yes why not she found herself saying eagerly i will try if you like i think i could do quite a short story and i can only fail she added a little bitterly as her mind ran back over the months she had spent in that odious room herding with hulking boys who smelt of stale tobacco with young ladies who tossed their heads archly and whispered anecdotes of fellows whom they met in pastry-cooks shops or in the sculpture galleries of the british museum that's right knew you could rejoined perry repacking the drawing it'll be time enough if i have it in a week i'm doing a story for illustrations now blessed he added with a comic twinkle pushing back his shock head of hair if i didn't make an ass of myself yesterday last week old stick in the mud he asked me if i'd do some pictures for a story oh i said i'm game i said who's it by and he says by somervale well i never heard of him did you miss earl i know the name said mary well presently comes the manuscript and i read it through 
and it was pretty tough work i can tell you what with not being typewritten and i not feeling quite fit that day having taken the chair at our smoking concert the night before however a few days later comes a stiff kind of a letter from this somervale saying i must call at once that evening at his house out notting hill way so off i go in my carriage and pair the red and gold one don't you know and presently i find the house well the servant girl she showed me up a passage covered all over with autotypes framed alike in white crikey thought i here's high art there's nothing good enough for this chap but rossetti and burne jones and watts and in the drawing-room it was just the same but didn't you know then whom it was asked mary smiling no blessed if i did rejoined mr jackson and so this mr somervale comes in oh good evening says he without any more ceremony than that have you brought the rough sketches for my story no i said i haven't i said just imitating his off-hand manner because you wouldn't have understood em if i had but didn't you know said mary that mr somervale is the art critic of two or three london papers nary a bit well he laughed a sort of thin superior laugh it was but he didn't say anything and so i got out all right but i felt a precious fool when i heard who he was let us hope said mary who remembered the great art critic at dinner parties exhibiting his culture with a modest air let us hope mr somervale isn't vindictive perry looked uneasy i say he suggested genially why shouldn't you turn art critic miss earle and slate us all round old somervale he's made a good thing out of it at that instant a tumult of voices behind the curtain made further conversation impossible a girl's shrill scream was suddenly audible and then the next second the heavy crash of a falling plaster cast rent the momentary silence shouts exclamations and inextinguishable laughter mingled with the sound of scurrying feet followed an untoward gaiety was evidently illumining the usual routine of the school as mary gathering up her things passed through into the large studio a boy's raucous voice raised the joyous but somewhat incongruous refrain the poor girl didn't know yer know the poor girl didn't know a quotation which may or may not have had reference to the now triumphant probationer miss simpkins who with heightened colour and agitated mien was bending over the many fragments of the shattered lacoon which lay strewn about the floor the rest of the day it would seem was to be devoted to celebrating the admittance of messrs walsh billington and beadle to the royal academy schools for scared at miss simpkins misadventure the girls incontinently fled a drawing a laboriously stippled drawing was triumphantly wrenched from an overturned board and torn in many pieces the easels were as unceremoniously hurled against the wall some bottles of beer made a mysterious appearance and from someone's bag two pairs of boxing gloves were surreptitiously produced the moment was justly held to be a supreme one for dancing on the shattered fragments of the fallen lacoon a truculent if disappointed young gentleman was heard shouting to the three successful students that successful or not he would fight them all in turn it may have been the bottled ale or simply british perseverance which emboldened the aggressor for as he threw off his coat and slipped on the gloves he was heard fulminating the hazy if with all glorious challenge i don't care a rap for your blooming academy come on you fellows i'll show you who's the best man End of chapter nine